Good morning. Glad to see a uh, fairly decent crowd for this summer. Uh, I'm always a little surprised that uh, first week that the students um, are gone or mostly gone and um, you look out there and realize how much of a uh, part of this church they make. So, um, well, good morning. I am Ben Schill. I'm one of the elders here and I'm not a regular, but um, if I think most everyone knows by now, but uh, Jeremy is taking a sabbatical this summer. Um, so it's likely that you're going to see a few people up here that you may not normally see. Um, and I also kind of, as, as a reminder to um, just ask you to kind of be praying for him during this time, just kind of, um, you know, time to kind of rejuvenate and um, just be reinvigorated for kind of the mission and for the church. So I just ask you to do that. Um, so last week we took a little deviation from um, the book of Genesis, but we've been in the book of Genesis um, for a while now, and we're going to continue on with that today, um, actually in chapter 12. Um, but we're going to, we'll actually start in chapter 11, verse 27. So if you'll please open your Bibles uh, with me, there should be some Bibles nearby in a seat um, in front of you, kind of under in the tray there. Um, if you don't have a Bible, um, we'd, you know, feel free to take that one with you. We'd love for you to have um, the Word of God with you in your home. So chapter 11, verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will, bring this, uh, will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. 
when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he, would, um, he dealt well with Abram, and he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called, upon, um, called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Please pray with me. Father, as we um, read your word this morning, um, although this was written thousands of years ago, about events thousands of years ago, that we, we pray that you would... Um, make it alive into in our hearts and in our minds. Um, we ask that you would use um, just my words this morning um, to effect, effectively proclaim your word, Lord, um, and that your spirit would open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to um, the promises that you make in your word. Um, I also just pray that you would um, pers- participate in bringing about Um, just the blessings um, that you proclaim in your word um, to those around us um, through the proclamation of the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So before we, you know, we had a pretty lengthy passage this morning, but we're really going to kind of focus on those first few chapters of chapter 12. Um, But before we do that, I want to get, go back um, and basically kind of start back at the beginning and trace back some of um, God's promises that he's made to us from the very beginning and kind of see where it is or or how we get to where we are today. So if you'll um, follow me back to Genesis 1, um, you'll remember that in the beginning God creates Adam and Eve. Um, He puts them in the Garden of Eden to live in perfect relationship with him. Um, And God blesses them and he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. Um, Unfortunately, we don't make it very long into our story and we see that um, that all falls apart. Um, Adam and Eve begin to doubt the words um, of God and sin enters the world. But... Um, If you'll read along with me, if you'll turn to chapter 3, verse 15, um, we see kind of God's response following the sin of Adam and Eve. So Genesis 3, 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So, in his response, we see that God um, provides a promise um, to Adam and Eve. Um, he promises that at some point in time that he will rise up offspring 
from Adam and Eve, um, and they will defeat the, the serpent. So he, he, you know, responds in mercy. He gives hope to um, Adam and Eve, knowing that someday the, the sin will be reversed. Um, and Adam and Eve's, um, eat, uh, their offspring will be the one that brings that about. But shortly after that, so we, we get this um, hope that's put out there, this promise of God. Um, but shortly after that, we have come to the story of Cain and Abel. Um, and as you are aware, and as we talked about, Cain kills Abel. And at this point in time, you start to kind of wonder um, how far this promise is really going to go. If the, the offspring is supposed to be the one that redeems the world and Cain kills Abel, how is that going to continue? Um, so um, we'll look ahead um, to chapter 4, 25, um, and see how this kind of story continues on. So after Cain and Abel de- um, died, uh, we hear or we see this. Chapter four, twenty-five, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. So, again, we see that this, this uh, promise continues on. We see that there is kind of hope um, for this offspring. God provides another offspring to continue on in this promise. Um, Eve, we see, is anticipating this. So, you know, while it might kind of seem have seemed vague about this uh, promised offspring, you can see that she's waiting for this offspring and she's expecting that he will come into this world and uh, redeem the world. Um, But immediately following this, again, we kind of go through this cycle of, you know, promise and uh, mercy, and then we see these genealogies come about. Um, We see a genealogy that uh, brings us to Seth um, immediately following this. And um, in verse 528, um, we again come to an important passage for um, tracing these promises. So verse 528, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. So we saw in the curse that the ground was cursed. Um, We see that proclaimed by God, but then he makes the promise of this offspring. And then here, uh, when Noah's born, his father is basically saying, you know, he's, you know, maybe he's going to be the one. So even years and years later, we still see that, you know, the people are anticipating this one to come that's going to be bring relief um, to, um, to them and to the land. So again, Lamech um, is looking forward to this offspring. Um, but, you know, as we'll see, I mean, we all are very aware or familiar with the story of Noah. Um, you know, we, we see that mankind basically starts to continue to spiral down um, uh, d- this uh, perilous path. Um, in chapter 6, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness, wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So, 
at some level, you know, we're expecting Adam to kind of, or uh, Noah to really continue on with this, um, you know, maybe he's the one, maybe he's the offspring that's going to bring um, relief from this. And at, at some level, we do see that Noah continues mankind on. So, you know, all of the offspring of Adam and Eve are wiped out um, with the exception of Noah and his kin. So we do see that he continues it on, but it's hardly like a real uplifting moment. Um, basically, you know, the world is wiped out. Um, and then chapter 8, 22, um, we get another promise that um, God tells us. So chapter 8, verse 20, actually. God's covenant with Noah. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So we, again, we also hear this kind of repeated blessing um, telling, you know, first Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. Um, and so we hear that again following the flood. And we, we see this promise of God never to, um, you know, destroy um, the, um, the world again and never to wipe out mankind again. So while, you know, God promises never to um, curse the ground ever again, um, you, know, you know, maybe we're thinking at this point in time, okay, he's wiped out mankind um, you know, mankind's being rebuilt. And at some, that, at some level, we do see that that's true. Um, but he's also basically saying here that, you know, sin hasn't been defeated. He, he, you know, God sees that every, you know, the intentions of man are still bad. So even though he's wiped out and start things over again, it's not like we're having this, this completely fresh start um, like we did at the very beginning. And it's obviously, too, very apparent because immediately following this, we get the story of um, the Tower of Babel and how man seeks to make a name of himself by building a tower um, to reach the heavens. Um, so, you know, we, we discussed that a couple of weeks ago, um, and that's getting us close um, to where we're going to pick up the story today. Um, but, it, but in between here, we also get another genealogy. Um, so we've, we've kind of traced this coming up from Adam um, up to Noah and kind of continued on kind of this, this seed or this offspring that's been promised and how it's continued on and on. So we get another genealogy that takes us from Shem, Noah's son, to the birth of Abram, the son of Terah. Um, and so at this point, we're basically caught up with the story. We've seen that for thousands and thousands of years, people have been anticipating um, this seed who is going to redeem the world and, and uh, free it from the curse of sin. Um, so we're not going to go through um, that whole story there at the, the end of chapter te uh, 11, but it kind of gives us some context, and it kind of serves as this introduction um, to chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, 
um, which we're going to spend really most of the rest of our time on. So if you'll read with me on chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, um, after Adam's father, um, Terah, dies, um, we'll pick up the story there. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all of the earth shall be blessed. So um, we, we see this blessing, um, and it should kind of hit us as a pretty big um, point in the story here. Um, you know, we, we see God literally speaking. So it says, the Lord said to Abram. And it's, and it's really hard to, I guess, downplay the importance of this, um, these three uh, verses here at the beginning of chapter 12. Um, you know, this basically is kind of this point where we start to see um, God really kind of working and we see him um, working through one man, Abram. Um, so it's, it's uh, you know, if, if you were to kind of look and outline kind of the, the rest of the Bible or even just outline the Bible in Genesis or um, through Genesis to Revelation, you'd see chapter 12 would be kind of like this, you know, big Roman numeral. It's, it's kind of like this big chapter heading. It's, it's a major, major shift um, throughout the rest of the Bible, and it really sets the tone for not only the rest of Genesis, but the rest of, of the Bible. So um, as we look at this, though, um, we basically see three um, promises um, that God makes to Abraham. First, he promises to make him a great nation. So this implies a couple of things. One, to be a great nation, you're going to have to have some sort of descendants. Um, and then also, you know, most nations have a land um, as well. But up until this point, we see that, you know, basically Abram is a man without any land. He's a sojourner. Um, and then he's in old age, but he and his wife have not had any um, descendants. Second, um, he promises to bless. So God promises to bless Abram and make his name great. Um, and here, I think, um, you know, he's, he's going beyond just kind of this um, physical blessing, but he's really kind of talking about the eternal blessing that he's going to provide Abram um, in his justification of sin. And then third, um, God promises that all the families of the earth will be blessed through him. So when Abram hears these um, words, you know, it, you kind of wonder, like, why, you know, why would he respond in the way that we see him, him do? Um, in reality, it seems like he should probably have quite a few doubts. Um, if you're Abram right now, I mean, you, you don't have any land at all. Um, your father has died, and you're kind of sojourning in this land that isn't yours, and you don't have any, any offspring, um, which especially back in this time period, um, you know, offspring and land are kind of those things that people probably look to. And, and, you know, if you have a bunch of children, you have a bunch of land, they probably associate that with blessing. So God's telling this guy that 
doesn't have anything um, that he's going to use him to bless this, the whole world. Um, and it's also, you know, we, we saw earlier that um, there was this anticipation by the descendants of Adam and Eve for this offspring to come. Um, and so we see that repeated by Eve and, um, you know, Noah's father, when he's, when he's born, there's kind of this expectation. And it sounds like people have kind of maintained this promise throughout the years. But by the time we get to Abram, um, it kind of feels like people have pretty much forgotten that. Um, in fact, um, Abram isn't even a follower of God. Um, in Joshua, we actually see um, that he's a pagan, um, and he says he worshipped many gods. So he's a so sojourner in this land, worshipping other gods, um, doesn't have any offspring. Um, and yet, we'll see that um, in verse 4, it says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot with him. Um, so we don't see any hint that he, you know, wasn't going to um, be obedient in this way. There wasn't any sort of hesitation there. And I think, you know, that should kind of give us or, or spawn some questions in our head. Um, why did he respond this way? Because, um, again, I think sometimes we think that probably Abram, you know, he's you know, Adam and Eve, he's part of this whole line of descendants. So probably over time, like people have been telling him about this. And so he's getting excited. But in reality, he doesn't even know um, the God of the Bible. He's worshiping other gods. Um, so why, why is it um, that Abram responds this way? Um, you know, and I think really there's only one reason or one thing that we can kind of point to. Um, and that's just a gracious and merciful response um, in granting Abram faith um, to follow in, in obedience. So it wasn't, not, wasn't anything that Abram was going to bring about upon his own. Um, there wasn't something about him. Um, you know, if God's looking at this guy, you know, and I'm sitting here and thinking about my plan to redeem the world, Abram's probably not my first choice. Um, you know, why would he even expect Abram to follow um, in, in obedience when he asks him to leave his land and go to the land of Canaan? Um, so, so it's just this merciful, gracious um, gift of faith given to Abram, um, which, which causes him to respond this way. Um, but also, too, we see um, God's character and nature coming out through through this, um, when you read back on in chapters uh, one through three, and you see these blessings, um, God really doesn't provide. You know, He basically just states that like this is going to happen. He doesn't say it as in like, okay, I'm hoping that you know you'll do this, and as a result, maybe my plans will work out over time. I'm not really sure. Um, you know, He He basically just states them outright. Um, and I think this, you know, points to his character in a few ways. Um, we know that God is all-knowing, so he knows exactly what is going to happen. He's all-powerful, so he can make um, things happen the way he, he wants. So there's really no doubt within God's own mind either that, you know, Abram's going to respond in this way. Um, so God... You know, again, he doesn't just throw 
um, these promises out there, kind of hoping that they'll they'll stick. You know, he doesn't spread this out to a bunch of different people and see maybe somebody's going to come along and follow me. Um, you know, but he he does this knowing that um, his promises are going to come true because he knows everything. He's all powerful, um, and, and his promises will come true. Um, let's look real quick with me. If you'll flip to Hebrews six, I think we'll have it up here on the screen as well. Hebrews six, verse thirteen. Once I get there. We'll, we'll hear um, the author of Hebrews here talk about the certainties of God's promises. So, we're, when God, or for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes... Um, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So um, the, the author of Hebrews here um, links the certainty of God's promises to his character. Um, he says, you know, you know if, if you think about it, it's like normally whenever you're um, swearing by something, you know, you, you hear about people doing that on, you know, children or something like that. So it's, you know, they don't swear by something that's meaningless to them, but something that's greater than themselves. But what else is God going to, you know, swear by um, that's greater than himself? So he, he swears by himself. Um, but we also see that he's just a God that doesn't lie. So, um, you know, the, the author of Hebrews really ties those things together and saying, because of that, we can be assured of the promises um, that God makes to us. And that should generate, um, you know, a, a um, joyful obedience and a joyful um, response by us, um, knowing that um, his words are true. So hopefully, you know, after looking at this, you're convinced that um, God you know, through his character, um, he cannot, um, you know, not fulfill the promises that he makes. Um, but, you know, at the same time, you know, as we're talking about um, these promises to Abraham, you may be asking, um, what does that really have to do with me, though? Um, you know, he's promising this to Abraham. He's not necessarily promising that to me. Um, but um, as we'll kind of see, um, we've kind of traced this, this uh, promise up through Eve. 
And um, this isn't something that's going to ultimately just be fulfilled in Abram's lifetime. But again, this, this is going to play out um, in the rest of the Bible, um, in, in the rest of God's story to basically redeem the world from sin. So while Abram pay, plays a very pivotal role kind of within this story, he's not the one that everybody's ultimately looking for. We have to look to something beyond him um, to see that these promises are going to be filled. Um, but um, as we look to the offspring um, for this ultimate fulfillment, um, we can look to somebody else. Um, so if, you know, if you're familiar with, um, we won't read through it because it's a pretty lengthy passage and there's a lot of names in there that I probably can't pronounce very well. Um, but if you go to the very beginning of the New Testament, um, in the book of Matthew, you'll see how Matthew traces um, <clears throat> this, this line or this seed from Abraham all the way up to um, Jesus. So when God's making this promise to bless the whole world and all the families of the earth um, through Abram, you know, it, it's really this future promise that becomes fulfilled through Jesus um, as the offspring of Abram. Um, and it's through Jesus Christ that we participate in these promises and we see them fulfilled um, through us as, as those families that are blessed through him. So um, if you'll flip with me to Galatians 3.26. I'm going to read that over us real quickly. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to promise. So just as Abraham responds, um, or is granted faith and responds in obedience, um, we can really see this, how this plays out um, within the new covenant as we um, have faith in Jesus Christ to um, basically fulfill those promises that he's made and that it's through that that we obtain access to the promises of Abraham. So we are not, you know, physical descendants of Abraham, although, um, you know, I guess at this point it might be difficult to know, but we'll, we'll make that assumption at this point. Um, but we're justified through faith and we're brought into um, Abraham's family as kind of descendants through the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. So we don't rely on ourselves, but trust in faith that God grants us um, just this completely unmerited, unmerited um, merciful response um, and this merciful gift. Um, so, you know, just as, you know, God looked at Abram and probably saw no reason um, to expect him to respond in this way, um, you know, we can know that God, you know, looked at us at once like that, granted us faith um, for belief in him. So as we close, I want to consider a few things uh, that we talked about um, today and kind of leave us with a few things. First, um, all of God's promises are sure. So we can look back. Um, one, we, we know um, the character and nature of God and that because of that, 
um, his promises are going to be fulfilled. We don't have to, um, you know, wonder if he is going to be able to um, do what he says he is. Um, his character and nature demands that his promises are going to be filled. Um, we also see this, so kind of secondly, we see that this has actually happened. So, you know, when, when he makes this promise to Abram, Abram, it's not like he could pull out his Bible and look back and see, oh yeah, here's where, where God has fulfilled these promises. But we know, we, you know, we have uh, Jesus Christ. We've seen um, him fulfill these promises in his son. Um, and we're, we're able to kind of see how that promise that was made to Eve at the very beginning um, finds its ultimate fulfillment um, in Jesus Christ. And we, we skipped over a lot of this, um, you know, we kind of go from Abraham to, to Jesus, but there's all these others that kind of fall in this, this line, um, you know, going up through David, etc., cetera, um, to the point where we get to Jesus Christ and see um, him fulfill his promise. So we see that Jesus comes from that line of um, Abraham. He is that promised offspring um, that, that God makes and that we are participants in that. And we really at some, some level, we're kind of a sign of, of that blessing um, that, he gives, um, that he gives to him. So one of the ways or, or some of the ways I think we can respond um, similar is we see, you know, just as um, Abraham is granted faith, he responds in obedience. Um, this is something that it should give us um, a lot of encouragement and a lot of hope, and that should bring us into a joyful obedience, seeking to serve um, God and really to be a blessing to others. Because um, as we, we read in chapters 12, um, 1 through 3, um, you know, he wasn't, God didn't bless Abraham just so that he could kind of go off and live on his own and enjoy the things that he was granted. Um, he blessed um, blessed him so that he would be a blessing to others. So in the same way, we should seek to be a blessing to those around us. So, um, you know, I hope again that as we kind of looked, you know, we spent a decent amount of time kind of tra tracing these promises throughout the Old Testament. And I just kind of hope it's a reminder um, of the promises that God makes to us. Um, you know, we still, unfortunately, um, you know, as we kind of read after and we didn't talk about it in depth, um, we see that right after we see this um, response by Abram and his faith in following and going to the land of Canaan, he basically completely forgets God promise, God's promises and he, you know, claims um, his wife as a sister so that he can avoid, um, you know, being killed, which again, you know, if God has just promised to make him of, uh, you know, a great nation and then he, you know, is, is fearful that he's going to be killed, he's, um, you know, believing the lie. He's not believing in God's promises. Um, and so, you know, today I think we, you know, oftentimes, even though we're granted that, that initial faith and we, we show that through obedience, um, you know, God doesn't expect um, or he doesn't um, doesn't have any illusions that we're going to, um, you know, respond in perfect obedience um, for the rest of our lives. Um, you know, that's where this grace comes in. But I pray that we would consider um, the ways that we, we do fail to, um, 
to believe in God's promises. And really, ultimately, if we're not believing in God's promises, um, we're not believing in who he is. Um, we're not believing in his character and his nature um, and that he can do what he says he is. So, um, again, I just pray that you'd consider that and think of the ways in which um, you may not be you know, believing in all the promises of God. So if you'll please join me in prayer um, in closing. Father, we thank you that um, because you are God and you are who you say you are, um, that we can completely um, trust in you um, to do what it is that you say you will do. We can trust in the promises um, that you make um, and that we can um, completely um, just trust in that, Father. So I pray that um, as we do this, we would seek ways to just respond to you um, in joyful obedience, seeking to be a blessing um, for those um, around us.